Today I'm preaching on Acts, and uh, to frame some context, I'm going to reread the passage today, just to do in the right mind. Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why do you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? And Peter began to explain to them step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There is something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, By no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time the voice answered from heaven, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and bring to Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he had said, John, baptize with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced, and they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. I'm currently reading a very interesting book on uh, the Roman Empire. Uh, Apparently, um, the celebrity historian, um, celebrity, I guess, in England, not here, uh, Dr. Mary Beard, has written a tome on the beginning of the dynasty called SPQR, named after Rome's famed motto, Senatus Populusque Romanus, the Senate and the people of Rome. So for me, being a nerd, I wanted to learn the actual history of Rome's rise to dispel the myths. And Dr. Beard's book is good at doing so. Early in the narrative, as Rome has begun to transition away from a line of kings to its famed republic, a popular word began to worm its way into the historical narrative, liberty. The origin within the Roman context is not sure, but there was a belief that all Romans should be free from oppressive laws and restrictions so that they may judge the course of their destiny. The influence of the Roman concept of liberty continued to impact the Western world long after Rome fell. I'm sure many of you who have read in your American history textbooks knew that one of the great rallying cries of the 13 colonies was, give us liberty or give us death. And it is not a coincidence that France's popular motto, liberté, égalité, fraternité, begins with the word, that L word, that is most important. Of course, the idea of Roman liberty was an idea not for all, but for only a certain amount of people, namely non-enslaved wealthy men. 
the Romans eventually expanded the concept to include non-enslaved plebeian men. Now, it's easy to speak with sarcasm, but including the lower class in the concept of liberty was a major step forward in that time. And as for the United States, the idea in the colonies of liberty that people could vote and determine their destiny was extended to only wealthy white landowning men. Now, Tuesday is election day. If we were living in the early 19th century at this moment, and the only people in this room would be able to vote, Tom, you own your house, right? Tom, Jack, is in your name? Okay. So Tom, Jack, Brett, do you own your house? Yes. Tom, Jack, Brett, Jeff, I believe owns your house. Or is Ginny's name on it too? Okay. So you're good. No. So the only people in this room who would be able to vote on Tuesday would be Tom, Jack, Brett, Jeff, and Leaf. Leaf, you own your house, right? Leaf is in his name? Both of ours, so maybe, I don't know. Women could not vote. Uh, and landowning men, I couldn't vote. I don't own the parsonage in Salem. I can't vote. But that was the concept of liberty in the United States at that time. And believe it or not, that was major progress compared to what was going on in Europe. But it's not what we would consider liberty today. The word liberty has been in the news a lot this year, and in most instances has come with the adjective religious. Now, from my understanding of religious liberty, this is a belief that I can worship how I want, when I want, with no government interference, and I think I've been just fine. To be honest, I didn't know religious liberty was a problem. Yet some states seem to think it is. North Carolina and Mississippi recently worked to pass religious liberty laws, while Georgia has one going through their state legislature. Indiana passed one last year. Now, in the abstract, this sounds like a good thing. I like practicing my religion. I like liberty. If Christians are being oppressed, then we must save them. But sadly, I don't believe that these bills understand the concept of liberty. For they do not free up Christians to do things they could not do. Rather, they work to exclude people based on certain things. These are bills dreamed up by people who claim to love Jesus but have conveniently forgot the love thy neighbor part that has kept already marginalized people even further marginalized. This makes me think of the popular song. I don't know the name of the song, but I know the end of the verse, and I won't, it's too early to sing it, but... Uh, they will know that we are Christians by our love, by our love. They will know that we are Christians by our love. They, in this song, presumably all non-Christians through these religious liberty bills, they will not know that. They will know the opposite of that. Peter would have been familiar with the idea of exclusivity masquerading as religious liberty. He was a practicing Jew, and in the early church, Jewish people who believed in Jesus look down on their Gentile counterparts. After all, Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, so why should they share? He was one of their own, and many of his confrontations involved the powerful Roman Gentiles. There was a lot of tension between the two groups, so much so that Peter wants to refuse an offer to eat with some Gentiles. They didn't observe the same customs so obviously. They were not good enough to be included in the Jesus movement. And while I respect Peter's beliefs, I guess God's grace is only good for some people. 
It takes God's work to pull Peter away from his prejudice by showing him that it is indeed okay to share a meal with the Gentiles in a way that they do. God sends Peter a very detailed vision about how God does indeed ordain what they eat so that Peter may partake of it. And when he does, no doubt scared that an unclean piece of meat is going to be the one thing that keeps him between him and God, he sees the same Holy Spirit fall on these Gentiles that once fell on him and the rest of the apostles, as he refers to in the beginning, the start of the church. And in that moment, Peter knew that he was blessed by God in the same manner that these Gentiles were. He had trouble explaining this to his Jewish compatriots until the wonderful 17th verse of this passage. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us we, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that could hinder God? Indeed. And that is religious liberty in a nutshell. We are not all one in Christ until all of us are one in Christ, firm and united. And we are not all God's children until all of us are God's children who get the same liberty as we do. That is how we are called to live. That is how Peter is called by God to live, breaking down the prejudicial mindset that keeps us from loving others. I really like what Dr. Mitzi Smith said about this passage. These are her words. And us and them mentality should haunt our human sensibilities if we would experience and benefit from our common humanity. We need to allow our biases and stereotypes to be checked. It is imperative that we engage with others different from ourselves in more than superficial ways. And most of the time, it will not happen when us keeps our distance from them. This construction of others who are different from us as unclean, based on those differences, signifies a belief in our superiority. If we get too close, live too close, interact with too much, we risk contamination and becoming unclean too. Sometimes our self-definition is constructed upon differentiating ourselves from others instead of upon who we are in God. Indeed, to build on what Dr. Smith wrote, you are God's beloved child. In baptism, the Holy Spirit did not show a prejudicial manner in rejecting you because God wants to exclude you. God loves you for who you are and for what makes you special. And indeed, God calls you to love your neighbor, who is special too, just as God has created them, even if it makes you unclean. That's liberty right there. When all the boundaries are broken and all the prejudices are defeated, when people can love who they want and go where they need without restriction, that is when God shines. And when we can share fellowship with one another, as Peter did, even with people who are different, even if it might make us uncomfortable, it is only then that we can see the Christ in others who do not look like us or talk like us or act like us. You are liberated from your sins because of what Christ has done for you. That's good. 
This is Easter. We can still say Happy Easter. We still celebrate the resurrection. Now go out into the world with that liberating mindset. We are not unified in Christ until all of us are seen in the same way. And that way is without prejudice. And in God's creation, none of us are truly free until all of us are free. May the God of liberty inspire a spirit of love and compassion in you. The blessed, redeemed child of God, liberated from all sin. Amen.